0: If you're passionate about cricket in the associate world and beyond, you can help us grow from as little as $2 a month by becoming an Emerging Cricket Patron. To sign up, log on to Patron. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket. Coming up on today's show, we wrap a load of news from around the world and sit down with an Emerging Cricket supercoach in Andy Moles. Welcome again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick. I'll be joined by Tim Keller and Nick Skinner in a few moments time when we chat with Andy Moles. But first, some news from around the Emerging Cricket world. Ireland and Scotland's women's teams will return to international cricket later this month when the two teams meet in Belfast for a four-match T20i series. The sides will go head-to-head from the 23rd to the 27th of May at Stormont with all matches streamed by Cricket Ireland. Meanwhile, the Ireland Wolves men's team will welcome a Dutch A-touring party next week playing three one-day matches at Oak Hill Cricket Club between May 10 and May 13. First-choice national team keeper Scott Edwards will lead the side with a number of players auditioning before upcoming Super League series and other international fixtures. Stepping up for cricket on two fronts, new Oman Cricket Board Chairman Pankaj Kimji is also set to assume the role of Vice President of the Asian Cricket Council. Pankaj stepped into the role as Chairman earlier this week following the passing of his father Kanaksi, who was the founding chairman of the Oman Cricket Board in 1979. Pankaj will continue his continental role from the 2021-22 AGM to be held before the end of June. Pankaj had previously sat as an executive board member on the ACC and will work under President Jay Shah. Malta has been forced to pull out of the upcoming Central Europe T20i Cup held in the Czech Republic due to restrictions preventing them from leaving their country. Austria and Luxembourg will still travel to Prague for a tri-series alternative. The tournament begins at the VNOR Cricket Ground on May 21. And Nepali men's opener Kushal Bertel has been rewarded for his record-breaking start to international cricket with a nomination as April's ICC Men's Player of the Month. Bertel joins Pakistan pair Fakhar Zaman and Baba Azam as nominees for the award and fans can cast a vote for the award winner on the ICC website. That's all the news in the Emerging Game this week. For more, log on to EmergingCricket.com. Coming up, Andy Miles.
1: I'm Jared Kimber, and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Perhaps the only cricket podcast that can tell the difference between Akira Bascom and Onets Bascom.
0: When talking about the Emerging Game, not many people have a resume as long and esteemed as our next guest. Boys, the usual welcome. Ooh. With over 15,000 runs in first-class cricket in England and South Africa, our guest has had a number of coaching roles in both the full member and associate spheres from Hong Kong, New Zealand, Kenya, Afghanistan, and almost every place in between. Andy Moles, welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast.
2: Good morning. I hope you both well.
0: Now, a game that we've played in the lead-up to this interview, Andy, where in the world are you at the moment? Because every time we see a, a news piece on you, you're in a far-flung corner of the earth. You've undertaken a number of roles. What are you doing at the moment?
2: Well, I've collected a few air miles, you're quite right, but uh, I'm currently based in South Africa, I live in Cape Town, and I've recently left Afghanistan uh, due to COVID, because there's no travel. Um, I was director of cricket there, and um, we came to a mutual understanding, really, that uh, I couldn't travel there, and we all know not much cricket being played at the moment, so they, they were getting no income, really, so it was... A, not really a reality that I could stay on, you know, earning money, and when I couldn't travel to the country, so that came to an end, unfortunately. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm looking for work, which is obviously difficult at the moment with the, with the travel status around the world.
0: So I think you're in a rather unique position where you have seen quite a lot of the emerging game through undertaking different roles, both you know, recently and and going back as as far you know, as far back as as the start of the millennium. What's your assessment of, of the emerging game at the moment we know that the COVID's played a big issue with a lot of things at the moment. Where do you kind of see associate and emerging cricket at the moment in comparison to, say, 20 years ago when you picked up work at, at Hong Kong?
2: Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is, is, and they still haven't got it right, still not enough cricket for the um, for the smaller countries uh, to, to play. Because the only way you can learn is to be by playing against stronger opposition. And I've found in, in all the, the associate members that I've worked for, the biggest difficulty is, is finding... Enough quality uh, opposition that you can fit around, you know, in what is essentially, although it's got batteries, is an amateur game. You know, when I first went to Hong Kong and, and, and Kenya and, and places and stuff, a lot of the guys had to practice around a work schedule. So, you know, Hong Kong, we used to practice at half past six in the morning, then guys would go to work and see them at the end of the day, and one or two of the students or whatever might come in at lunchtime. So you have to be very flexible, whether the luxury of full members is you can. You know, they're with you. You've got a squad like in Afghanistan now. I mean, all the players just are paid enough to get by because it's cheaper in Afghanistan, uh, cost of living. So they've, they, you know, if we want to practice all day, all day, you know, every day, the, the players are, are always available. So therefore, you can work on your skills. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest problems. The other issue is, is quality practice uh, facilities. Um, obviously, Afghanistan, with, with the issues of the, the war and everything else, I've got basically very poor basic practice facilities, although they're getting better. Um, But, you know, when you go to look at Scotland, they've got good club facilities there. When I worked there, Hong Kong were very good, but the grounds are very small, as we know. So it's difficult when you go on tour to get them used to fielding on bigger fields. So each country brings its own uh, unique difficulties. So
1: just looking a bit over that time, you know, you, you've seen a lot of associate cricket and it's obviously changed a lot in that time. What, what are some of the successes that the ICC has had in that time to, to help grow the game that you've seen? And, and, and maybe you know, what, what are some of the things that haven't worked out so well for them?
2: I think one of the big successes was um, when they brought in the, the, the three-day and four-day cricket mm-hmm. into their program so players could learn to play the longer format of the game. It's been my experience in a lot of the associate countries to play a lot of one- day cricket and t20 cricket because it's short it's sharp it's quick and it, and it's cheaper to oper- to run in their own countries than having a three or four day competition the other thing is that you know the facilities and the wickets in some of the countries uh, are difficult to get to last for four days so the grounds will have to be educated um so I think what that was oh whats it, 10 15 years ago they brought in, when I was in Kenya or oh, nearly 20 years ago now they started the... the, 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 the um,
1: Intercontinental Cup, yeah, yeah.
2: Which, which was very good. I mean, Scotland won the first competition they played us, Kenya, in, in, the, in the final. And that was a good way to, for the players to learn to play the longer format of the game. And I think that they have um, cut that back now, I believe, which I think is a mistake. Um, and it all comes down to money. You know, the biggest difficulty for, for Associates is the amount of money they get paid from the ICC, to grow the game, and what I mean by growing the game is, is letting giving players the opportunity to play more cricket, but also they've got to grow grassroots level as well. It's very different, you know, if they don't get enough income coming in, which is very sparse, could confirm with uh, with, uh, with the full member nations who get you know paid an awful lot of money, and that's good for them because they you know they're bringing it in with TV rights and all and everything like that. But I think that the full members and the ICC need to understand, I, th- I think they do understand. But they pay it lip service. They need to finance associate cricket better than they do at the moment. So, just thinking,
1: you know, obviously we all agree that the, the Intercontinental Cup should be brought back, but um, there's been some talk recently about a lower division of Test cricket, including some full members. Do you think sort of merging those two competitions could, could be an idea? You know, having the lower ranked full members playing in an Intercontinental Cup style competition against high ranked associates?
2: Yeah, I do agree. It would be a good thing. but The difficulty is to get full members to agree to play in that competition. <laughs> they will see that they suddenly could be deemed to be a second, in a second division. Therefore, the bigger nations, who I'll name as India, England and Australia, will see that as an opportunity to, to pay them less because they're not playing in the first division, which would mean that they'll get more money. Um, instead, you know, in, in theory, it's a, it's a great idea. I mean, you know, Afghanistan, Zimbabwe, Ireland should play full member nations with a group from the associates. But in reality, I can't see it ever happening because, as I said, just said, there'll be reticence from, let's say, if a West Indies or a a Bangladesh were were told that they had to play in the second division, they'll fight that because they could see ultimately they could could come to a a loss of um, income and also see them being viewed as a second division full member state.
1: So, so do you think maybe part of the problem is a, a level of uh, sort of pride or, or unwillingness to um, view cricket in a broader sense, maybe maybe seeing it as a zero-sum game?
2: I think that um, the full member nations are reticent to play against some of the smaller, um, as I just said, Afghanistan and Ireland are struggling to get, and Zimbabwe to a certain degree, but not not as much, are struggling to get uh, test matches played because there's no TV rights, but nobody wants, you know, they can't sell form members can't sell that that to earn money, so therefore, you know, the, to a certain degree, they 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 pay lip service and say yes, we will play against you. But I mean, Afghanistan was supposed to go to Australia last year; and got cancelled twice, I believe. They said oh, they'll play in the future, but it'll be interesting to see whether that actually happens. But the the bigger thing is that there's no they they don't see it as a you know the money men have got to make money to pay the players and, and grow the game in their own countries and playing against some of the smaller nations they see that as as a it's not going to help them get to where they want to be to support their own game
3: before we move on to your work in one of the other stands it's always intrigued me about afghanistan and how cricket is seen within within the country format wise you know we hear colloquially from people within afghanistan that, that they're first class uh, red ball game is, is followed intently. Is is that the case? You know, is there a lot of support behind the first class competition and and seeing test cricket as, as a pinnacle or is it seen differently with, within the country?
2: I think the players themselves see white ball cricket as the most important because that's a, you know, I'm sure you can imagine, but if you imagine it, make it ten times worse. The the, the poverty in the country is terrible. And you know, obviously with the war the war going on, um, the risk to life is 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 terrible. So daily these guys players have to put up with threats and things like that. But their way out of poverty is, is IPL, BBL and all, and all that sort of thing. And the, and the players are, are starting to make a, an impact in these competitions. And the youngsters see that as the way that they can make money to, to help their families. You look at um, the players, there is isn't a, a vibrant, uh, the four-day competition is running and they do play. But some of the senior players uh, don't, drop out of it. They don't play all the games. And one of the things I was trying to work on there and and Afghan cricket have taken it up is to try and improve the standard of their four-day cricket, get the wickets better. Listen, there's good, healthy competition in the country between the provinces and it's a viable four-day competition. But if they can just get it, tweak it and get it a little bit more competitive, then the results, uh, the players' results and their performances will be better judged when it comes to selection
3: before we, we spoke I did a, did a bit of googling of you just to see what sort of comes up to so the Wiki, main Wikipedia links and whatnot and one of your interviews before the the 2015 World Cup came up and you talked about life basically in a hotel that you'd travel into Kabul a couple of weeks before an event live out of a hotel room travel to the ground and, and come back again did your life develop more since since 2015 did you spend more time out and about or did what was life like and what's it been like for the last five or six years since the World Cup
2: Um, Yeah, well, for security reasons, you you can't go out, you you can't walk outside the hotel to go to the shops or go and have a look around. So you stay in the hotel. And because of um, my brother's an anti-terrorism specialist, works in the Middle East, and he gave me all sorts of advice. So you stay out of public areas in the hotel as well, because if there is going to be an issue, people come in and spray bullets in in the public areas, the the dining rooms and and the reception areas and stuff like that. So basically... I would stay in my room and have, and have room service. When I had to go, I'd go out, pick up by an armoured car, take him to the ground. The ground is a complete wall around it where there's, there's a sentries and, and armed guards stationed around around in towers. And there's probably about 12 to 18 of these um, guards with, with AK-47s. And you uh, do your day's work, and then you get back in the armoured car and they take you back to the hotel. And I'll go back to the room and... Um, yeah. Star sports was, 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 was very popular for me. I used to watch star sports all the time and I'd have a meal in the room and then the next day, same thing would happen again. So it look to try and minimise your exposure to any problems that may occur. And I did have, in fact, a message. Someone came to me, said that the Taliban said they wouldn't attack Andy Moles. They, see, they saw me coming in to help cricket and they thought it was a good thing. But if I happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, then that was just unfortunate.
3: So during during that time, just as you know, we've got we've got a list of questions here. But as you keep talking, all these things come up into my mind. So
0: knew this was going to happen. Yeah,
3: no, exactly. It could be the longest podcast ever. (laughs) So during during that time, were there any times where you you feared for your safety? You know, we we saw on the world's television screens when the bombing went off or outside the stadium during the Sheppards T Twenty. Were you there then, or other times that something was going on?
2: Yeah, I was coaching my team and Adam Hollyoak, who I believe coaches in Melbourne now, he was in charge of the other team and we were, we were sat in our dugouts and suddenly we heard this just boom. And then the strangest feeling was like a wave passed through your body, the bomb blast, And uh, we were about 100 metres from where a uh, suicide bomber at the gates was trying to get into the ground and he, he obviously got um, found out. And detonated and sacrificed himself at the the turnstile, trying to get into the ground. Now the horrible thing is, where would he have gone if he had gone into the ground? We don't know because, like all cricket grounds, it's very, you know, when uh, it's very easy to get around where you want to get. So you know, it's terrible uh, that that happened, and that was that was a hell of a shock.
1: Well, just thinking about the sort of the political situation and the war and and cricket's place in the country. You you mentioned the Taliban approving of your uh, work as, as, a, as a coach and development worker and looking at the, you know, the foreign occupation is ending at the end, you know, towards the end of this year and there's a lot of fear about the Taliban sort of coming back. You know, where do you see cricket's place in the country and and within that sort of very unstable situation and, and how can, I guess, the game keep growing even in the face of instability?
2: Well, I think I think that the, the love for cricket and the and the passion for cricket in Afghanistan will get them through this difficult time. I see this morning actually on news the uh, Taliban south of uh, Kabul took over a a, a base a, a, a military base and the Americans and the. And the locals have to go in and fight them to get rid of them. So I think there's going to be issues until they can sort out a political problem. But, but I can't see that happening anytime soon. But the players and the and the, and the people in Afghanistan, I mean, you, you hear stories in Pakistan and India about locals playing in the streets and there's thousands. Of them. Afghanistan is exactly the same. Cricket is a religion and they, they will do everything they can. I mean, I, I can't see the locals not having that. They won't lose their passion for the game. So. I think, I think the game will continue to grow, but it'll have its challenges certainly.
1: And, and just on that, you know, looking at the demographics of cricket, it, it's still um, heavily Pashto dominated in, in terms of who plays the game and, and who's interested. And so, I guess, what's the next step for cricket in Afghanistan to expand westward out of the kind of Kabul eastern area and, and into the other ethnic areas, especially the Tajik population?
2: I think they're doing their best to try and grow the game, but that's a challenge that they've got to grasp and get more people. I think there's a group of players who have been involved for the last 10, 15 years that are coming to the end of their playing life, if you understand what I mean. I think they can be used as ambassadors to get out into the the outlying areas to grow the game even more. The problem, that's not a problem, is a great thing. I mean, whenever they go to... I've I've seen... um, I've asked for quick bowlers, they have a quick bowling camp and they're saying, Kabul, right, we want to, We want as as many who thinks they can bowl quickly. And there'll be 400, 500 kids turn up. Some of those, they say you must be under 19. Some of, those, some of them are obviously 30, 32, 33. <laughs> they just, <laughs> they have to just farm them out. Um, but the passion, leg spinners, I mean, leg spinners with Rashid Khan in the way he, he he's idolising the country. There must be, and I'm not, not joking. There must be at least twenty to thirty leg spinners that can play first-class cricket around the country easily in that country. As youngsters, they all just copy like the old West Indians when the West Indians were top of the game. There was quick bowlers, you know, all over the place. In Afghanistan at the moment, the leg, wrist spinners are everywhere, and there's some amazing talent.
0: And then I suppose when you have that much talent, you can sift through and, and and find the diamonds And Afghanistan over the last four to five seasons have been so strong, especially in franchise cricket. And they've, I think, been, they've, they've sort of capitalized on, on the time that they're in at the moment where spin bowling is very much in vogue, especially in, in the limited formats. But I suppose you, you know, working on a, on a day-by-day basis with a, a number of those um, young spinners. what What's their modus operandi when they when they go out in the field and, and bowl? What's their secret to, to their success? Well, it's
2: all, I mean, any cricketer, it's about hard work and not taking shortcuts. A lot of the guys, some of the guys want believe that, uh, as in all countries around the world, that they're actually further along the road than they really are and want to know why they're not getting opportunity. The biggest thing is because, you know, you've got Rashid, Mujib and, and Nabi in the, in the national side, Three quality spinners: Case, Ahmed, the the left hand Chinaman who's played with. There's no there's no them. How, how can they get in the national side? So, but there's others like not quite as good as them, but quality quality spinners that come to me when I was chairman selector. Say, well, why can't I play? I said, well, which one are you? Tell me which one of those I should drop to get you in the side. Yeah, but I'm I'm when I play first class cricket, I'm going great great figures. So yes, you are. But the bottles a bottleneck. There's a bottleneck. So the diff the biggest difficulty is trying to keep them hungry and try and keep them uh, focused that you know they've got to wait for their opportunity and some of them are not, are not as uh, patient as others,
0: unfortunately. That kind of leads into my next thought is, you know, with the advent of, of franchise cricket around the world and, and a few more opportunities to, to play some high-end cricket, especially in full-member countries, and, and earn a, a decent pay packet for, for doing it. Does having, you know, having those opportunities around in, in places help that bottleneck of, of Afghan talent? Because I've seen, you know, in the BBL, we've had uh, Nor Ahmad and, and K Ahmad, and i don't think K Ahmads actually played an international for Afghanistan at least in one format yet which which does you know lead into to your point about the quality but so I suppose open it out again to, to the associate world and, and key players in the associate world. How important is that opportunity for, for those players to, to earn a living in, in cricket and give them a chance to be closer to full time in developing their their skills?
2: Yeah, firstly, Case has played. He's played Test cricket and uh, T20 cricket. Um, it was When I was coaching, he's he played uh, both formats of the game. He played Test against um, Bangladesh and he played against Ireland in the T20 competition. But it is vital. For them, so they can keep. As I keep saying, they need to play against better players. If they if they don't, if they just play at home and stagnate and just play against the same quality of players all the time, then they can't judge how how they're, how they're improving. So I think all players have got to strive to play at the strongest and the best possible cr- standard cricket that they possibly can. And I think the franchise cricket gives them that opportunity.
1: Now, just uh, looking on the batting side of things, one I, I know you were you started off in Afghanistan as the batting coach, right? Yeah. So. Uh, uh, well, one thing I, I'm kind of wondering is how did you keep patience with the Afghan batting lineup, considering how much they had a tendency to just uh, completely collapse. Well, they, um,
2: they they they're a hugely passionate side, and as I said to you, they've been brought up on a diet of t twenty t twenty cricket. When we play the longer format of the game, if somebody bowls a maiden to them, they see that as a challenge. No, you're not going to bowl another maiden for me, you know. <laughs> they they want to play the game in a highlights package. What mm. I mean by that, when you if you watch TV and the highlights package, you don't see many four defenses or the ball being left. They want to just attack, 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 and, and put yeah, the pressure on the ball, which is fine, but you can't do it. But, you know, the risk factor escalates if you want to play. There's a the thing, Hansi Creneer. When I worked with Hansi, he he said to me about four day cricket now I'm talking twenty five years ago so the numbers have changed somewhat but he used to say that if you're scoring if the team is scoring below two point eight runs and over then you're under pressure and you're putting pressure on yourself and make you have to play shot and if you're scoring over three point three you is twenty I know the games changed now but there's a window between two we used to work on between two point eight and three point three but if you're in that window it's it's relatively risk free cricket and you can Move forward now. It's probably in four-day cricket three to three point five. Let's say, if you're in that window, the risk factor is less than trying to score at four point two. Or, or on the other hand, if you're only going along at two point five, then external pre, you feel under pressure and you play more shots. So, what I tried to get to the Afghans to understand that to recognise that window, and sometimes we got it right mm. and sometimes we didn't. There was other times when I when I used to tell them, right, you're going to be judged on balls faced not how many runs you've got in the scorebook. I'm not interested if you score 45 off 40 balls in a four-day game or 80 off 80 balls. I want you to... And we we got them to understand, uh, Shah in particular batted longer and longer sessions and accumulated runs, and they got started to understand the need to occupy the crease and wear the bowlers down. Get the bowlers bowlers to come back for their second and third spells in the day, as opposed to going out there and just playing shots. And the opposition bowlers we've been bowled out in 45 overs. You know the bowlers are still fresh. So it's getting to understand there's a mental side to the game as well as as just the tactical side.
0: Um, reading a little bit on Tendulka when he grew up, his idea was that a lot of the time he actually judged a lot of his innings by how long he batted or how many sessions he batted rather than how many runs he actually scored, which which kind of plays into that. And I think we saw in, in UAE with that recent series with Zimbabwe, looking at, at the way Hashmatullah went uh, about things in, in that particular test match was, yeah, it, it, it kind of went more towards that idea of thinking about batting long periods and and rather than looking at the score when I think, you know, one of the the issues that we do see in the infancy of of test match nations and Afghanistan certainly being one of those at the moment is that at the top, especially in the at the top order, a lot of players don't really understand the significance of just leaving the ball alone and giving, giving themselves half a session just to let things go and, and to just to open the door for people later on in the innings to, you know, accelerate when, when you have to.
2: It's also having respect for the conditions you're playing in. The biggest issue with I found in Afghanistan and a lot of the associates is they play the same every game. You know, you travel around the world, Go to Scot- we played in Scotland in the, mm-hmm. in the, in the uh, 4 deck game uh, four or five years ago now, and we played in Stirling. It was freezing cold, and it was bitter, and it was raining, and it was damp, and it was grey. And the Scottish bowlers just ran up, put it on a length, and it just dibbled around a little bit. And we, we played as if we were playing on a mar- piece of marble because that's how they play in Afghanistan. It's the, the biggest thing is to respect what's under your feet and what's above you, above your eyes you know, what are the conditions of the, of the wicket and what are the conditions, you, you know, upstairs re, is a ball going to swing. Now, you mentioned Ted Dolker. I've got a story about him, which epitomises, I think, puts into task what we're talking about. When I coached New Zealand, we played in Hamilton and he hadn't scored 100. I may be wrong, but he hadn't scored a 100 for a long time against New Zealand in New Zealand. And went to Hamilton, which is where I used to work for the, before I took the national job. I work for Northern Districts, which is based in Hamilton. So the day before the test match, I went into the offices just to greet the people and say hello. And that's what I and the indoor school is part of the offices. You can hear it. And if anybody's working, you can hear it. I heard this boom, boom. So I walked into the indoor school, and there's Tendoka's son is fe- feeding the bowling machine, and Tendoka is blocking every single ball. He didn't play a, a, an extensive drive. He didn't. He just defended every ball. And I said to one of the guys. I How long has he been doing that? So he's been there for an hour and a half, just doing exactly the same thing. And the next day, the most painful, delightful thing I ever saw in cricket is he blocked 100. (laughs) He did not go down the wicket and smash it. He just, he so badly wanted 100 that day, he just blocked it. Yes, he he got a couple of times, obviously beautiful, go through the cover before, but he did not play a full range, extensive shot until he got over 100. It was actually a thing of good. Although it pained me, it was a fantastic thing to watch.
3: So that's, uh, what's the term? It's like watching your favourite pub burn down, that one. (laughs) (laughs) Right. um, One of my favourite memories in cricket, and I'm sorry, but I've got to do this, is um, Hong Kong versus Afghanistan. T20 World Cup qualifier, 2015. 16 runs to win off the last over, Muhammad Nabi with the ball in hand, and it all comes down to the last ball, Bubba Hyatt hits two, and, it, and they come back and win, famous victory for Hong Kong, I hugged Warren Dutrim within an, uh, an inch of his life, but tell me what it was like on the other side of that coin, because I've talked about this memory so much, and I, <laughs> there was the first time we sort of came across each other, it was, in, it was in Dublin when you were coaching the Afghanistan team, tell me about what that last over was like for you, and uh, was it just another heart attack moment coaching Afghanistan, or, or what?
2: It wasn't. It wasn't very easy to watch, that's for sure. It um, there was a number of things that happened that day that uh, just struck me as being very odd. You know, Nabi, who, who bowled beautifully at the end of the inning, suddenly had the wrong cassette in. He just he just bowled knee high full toss, and and the and the the Hong Kong guys. Uh, took full advantage and played very very well but you know the, the, the difficulty thing is, is as a coach you have to just sit back and watch things unfold in front of your eyes when you're a player you can actually and that's a diff- the hardest thing for me going from playing to coaching when I was playing if I was in a bad trot I could do something about it right, I'm going to as Tendulky, I'm going to block a big score today I'm going to make sure I get spend some time in the middle sometimes batting you have to be a little bit selfish because it helps the team as well but when you coach you can put all your plans in place. You can m- put the matchups, what you want who to bowl to who, and everything. When the game unfolds, it's like reading a book. You just have to sit back and turn the page and just see what happens in front of your eyes. And not only that game; there has been many games. You think
3: <laughs> I thought we discussed we weren't going to do that. <laughs> look, look uh, it just. Because one of those things that just came to mind when we were talking, I, I promise I hadn't planned that. Okay, it was just one. Of, I just wondered why, what it was like on the other side because, like I said, it's there's always two sides of the coin. Like for me, it was one of the finest days of cricket because of, of what it meant for the players and and the organisation as well. Because making a World Cup, the funding, the exposure, and everything that comes with it. So, okay, I, I won't do that again. I'm sorry. Okay, we'll move <laughs> even better. We'll move away from Afghanistan. And recently, you know, we we're talking about the I Cup earlier. Is is that sort of bridge between? associate cricket and full-member cricket. At the other end of the scale, beyond the 104 ICC members, there's a a number of countries doing a lot of work to to try and get themselves to a situation so they can apply for associate membership. And one of those is Uzbekistan. That You've actually done some recent work there. Can you talk about, well, how that came about, but what you did there and what what you saw?
2: Yeah, I went there for about uh, seven or eight days uh, just before Christmas. They asked me to go. Um, first of all, they're beyond their infancy. They are just literally starting the building blocks. They haven't even got a foundation, really, uh, of, of their cricket culture yet. But, but there's um, a group of people, Aziz is the chairman or the president of the cricket there. And through his own funding, he went to India uh, for education, came back and wanted to start cricket in the country. So they asked me to go and do a basic coaching course because they want to get. Literally start, so they thought quite rightly, get the basics of the game taught to to. I think there was fifteen or sixteen coaches. They asked me to come and do basically a level one course, the, the basics, get them to understand the game. Uh, so they flew me in. It was when I got there, it was probably about two o'clock in the morning, and it was about minus bloody ten degrees. It was freezing, but. They looked after me ever so well. Very passionate about the cricket. So <laughs> we, we, we went to the the, the board room of, of the, um, the president of, of the cricketers company. And there was, as I say, 15 or 16 coaches. So my first question is, so tell me how much do you know about cricket? One guy put his hand up and says, well, I've, I've played when I was in India. Two other people said, yes, they've seen it on YouTube. The others don't even know what cricket is, <laughs> nothing. Now, I'm going to teach them how to bat, bowl and field. You tell me you think that's an easy job. So I had to rewind everything back I was going to do. We did a lot of uh, YouTube, showing the game, showing white ball, red ball. Did the basic bowling So We took them into an indoor tennis court and we did basic. But their passion was fantastic. But, you know, they are really, really at the very start. But they, they, I see that they've, they've started to build two cricket grounds. I saw some, some pictures on on the on the, uh, on the web that they are scarifying outfields have been given to outfields uh, two fields to make into cricket grounds they've got coaching going on in, in universities there so they they're, they're moving quickly and i believe they're having a t20 competition in june july where there's four teams that are going to play So that'd be their first sort of um, cricket competition and they've signed some sort of an mou or or a Collaboration with the Russian Cricket Federation, so that so that they're moving quickly. They've spoken to the ICC, they've spoken to the Asia Cricket Council, so they're trying to move very quickly. And, and you know they they'll get there. They're very passionate, and but it'll take some time. But it, it really is. It's actually. I mean, a year ago I was working. I was coaching Test cricket to then go to work with with a group of people. Who, one one was a football coach. One was a was a ice hockey coach. You know, it was really was. One was a boxing coach. One was a taekwondo coach. Never even seen cricket. Never mind. You know to teach, but but you know the good thing I've seen. Hence, pictures of these guys working with groups of people out and about in uh, Uzbekistan. And good luck to them. They, they've 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 started and the they, and their passion. I think will get them through.
1: So um. <laughs> I guess questions about where, where cricket sits in the public consciousness, um, you know, n- not, not really there yet, but uh, what sort of preparations on an administrative side of things are required to attain ICC membership?
2: Well, I think they've, they've got to show, I don't know, don't know the full ins and outs, but I know they've had a meeting. I think they've got to show that they've got a structure and they want to put together clubs and things like that. So that's what they're starting this competition to have four teams. I think they've got to show that they've got some facilities to play and practice the game. And then on the admin side, they do have, I think they've got about three or four dedicated people who work for the president in in his pharmaceutical business. They spend time on cricket as well. So they're starting to grow the the coaches, the the administrators and the players. They're starting to grow. all Now they've met with um, the Asian Cricket Council. I think they're quite close to being sort of, once they can join then they can get some finances that they can grow the game. So it's a bit bit of a chicken and egg situation, which, you know, to get the finances, they need to join. But to join, they've got to show that they're building these grounds. So, you know, this fella, Aziz, has put quite a lot of his own money into into this, and he's doing a great job.
0: What was his particular motivation to to start up now of all times? Was it just his exposure to to India and and sort of falling in love with it that way? It just, you know, for, for us... You know, we grow up and and cricket is just so ingrained in our culture. But looking around at, at how cricket starts in in you know newer parts, there there are stories of inspiration, and, and Uzbekistan seems like one of those. What was the light bulb moment for them to just to to, to begin this journey?
2: I think it's seeing the the improvement of um, Afghanistan, which is next door to them, uh, and seeing that uh, you know the, the opportunity to travel the world and play competitive cricket, and I think they they wanted to. Sort of copy their neighbours. So uh, I think it's, it's, it's improvement. I think there's, there's a in Asia generally there's a big thrive to try and move. Uh, they call the stands, you know, Uzbekistan, Pakistan, and there's so many of them. And a lot of them want to start playing. so more, the other countries want to start playing cricket as well. So that
1: um. Kind of relates to a question we got from one of our uh, contributors, Shonak Sarkar, and he, he was asking what you think of the you know the potential for growth in the Central Asian region, considering you know obviously there's the, the soft power of Pakistan and India and Afghanistan in that part of the world, and you know where where do you see cricket potentially going in, in that region?
2: I think it'll thrive. It's uh, as I said before, it's they see it as an opportunity to um, uplift themselves socially, the players. And I think that uh, the countries are very competitive and they, want, they, they see their neighbours doing well. And I think ICC, one thing they have done is they're looking to grow the game. And I think it's a, it's a hotbed where the game can, can grow in amongst all those Asian areas. So I think that it's just the right, it's, it's a perfect storm. The passion's there, they want to play and if the ICC want to grow the game, if they can collaborate and get together, I think it will it'll grow very, very well
3: and quickly. You mentioned where all the different sports those those coaches came from. What what will cricket be up against in these countries? You know, I'm guessing football as it is everywhere, but beyond that,
2: in Asia, a lot of, there's a lot of this cage fighting. UFC, I think really? it's called. There's an awful lot of that in Asia. So that that is actually a, a massive sport. Boxing, wrestling, those types of weightlifting, in, in amongst those sort of belt of, of um, mid mid Asian countries um and yeah football is obviously there tennis when i was in uzbekistan the, the standard, of the tennis courts were amazing beautiful but you know i think like everywhere else i think if cricket gets in and, and and the bug bites it'll explode well hopefully i
3: know that when they were talking about maybe running the t10 tournament just before covid was was about to hit they're hoping to get players from afghanistan or, or help but I that's that's the issue that i have at the moment is being a non-member it's all unapproved cricket you know similar down in in zambia being suspended but you know once if there was sort of on a bridging membership basis and to get that support from afghanistan like you say it could be really amazing to watch you know nick mentioned um shonak he's done quite a, a number of pieces on various central asian nations and um it looks like he's bang on hearing from what uh, what you said about that area—that it just needs that spark. Well, I guess the spark has already been there. I guess it needs people like, like the Uzbek cricket president, who's uh, who's ready to start it.
2: Well, I, I, when I went there for that week, I was contacted by a number of uh, Afghanistan players to say they wanted to come and play there and they want to come and coach there. So I think that that'll be um, a great start to get a standard of cricketer come into the country—not at the very top end, but but a knowledgeable. Cricketer that could come and help grow the game and, and the culture of the game and teach them how to play the game in the correct manner, respect the, respect the rules and all that sort of thing. So I think that that and it's as I say, Afghanistan and Uzbekistan are next door to each other, so they can and there's as I said there's there's hundreds of cricketers in, in Afghanistan that won't get an opportunity, so that could be a viable option for some income, and and I know Uzbekistan have been very wise on there because they have no culture of the game. To, to have an influx of you know 10 15 20 coaches that can put around the country to help grow the game and teach the game as we all understand the game I think that'd be a big plus
3: for them. Geez, it'd be interesting if in a, you know five years or so we are having the same conversation. About the Central Asian states of, of being Afghanistan B C D and E, the the, the same way that uh, <laughs> that uh, associates get about you know being Pakistan B and C. Just if there's that many quality players in Afghanistan that aren't getting a go, that that make a cho- make a choice to. Be, and I'm you may you may know or not know. like they talk about the border being non-existent between between Afghanistan and Pakistan. Is it the same on the other side? Or is there a lot of free movement between all these? These nations, which which could make that possible, with people just moving in and out.
2: Well, I think because of the mountainous region of the countries, it's very difficult to have a, a straight fence going there. So I think <laughs> I think a lot of the board, a lot of the borders are porous.
3: Yeah, oh, that's that's exciting. You know, we talk about you know up and coming associates and who are the the, the next. You know, nations. I guess we always get asked, especially if we're appearing and talking to people who you know don't know a lot about the associate cricket world. But it'd be really interesting if one of these countries that aren't even a member at the moment could really come forward in in leaps and bounds. You know, and we've we've seen that. You know, with Afghanistan. You know, prior to 2000, they didn't have a cricket team, and 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 we're talking to the guy that was coaching them in, in Test cricket. You know, there's the there's what that's what can happen in in that region. So no, all, all power to them a great story and something to definitely keep an eye on.
2: Yeah, I think um, I think the ingredients are all there. It just needs the right investments and the passion. I mean, without passion, you're not going to get anything in life. And they've certainly got, you know, what I saw there. Um, the people who came to attend, uh, I did a couple of lectures and talks in universities, and there was hundreds, you know, come to to listen. And I've seen since I've I've left the country the coaches that I that I that I helped. I've gone into those universities and I've seen some videos where they're actually doing the basic grip, stick, grip stance backlift, trying to, you know, so they are, they are scratching the surface to And it just needs the recognition from the ACC and the ICC just to get, it and then, because then they can get coaches from, from the ACC and the ICC can go and help them as well, you know, go and help them. They, they can get the coaches on proper, Coaching courses and and get them upskilled, but they just need to get that recognition.
3: You mentioned it was freezing when you when you landed. What's Uzbekistan like? You know, were you able to go out and about? You know, different to to Afghanistan because it's a bit more stable. What's what is it like? Massive difference. I mean, there's no there's
2: no um, soldiers on the streets. When I landed, I mean, I I understood it it was part of the Russian um, Empire years gone by. You, I, I, in the town centre, there's five and six lane roads on each side, pristine, no rubbish. When I was there, there was some snow on the ground, so it was bloody cold. But they, the country is regimented. There's no trouble between um, religious, whichever side of uh, uh, religion you're on. They live, live together, no issues at all. It was perfectly, you could go out, walk around the malls, and it's just, I mean, the two countries next to each other, but they, apparently they had some issues about 15, 20 years ago and the government just stamped it out, said, no, we're not going to have any fighting in, in between religious groups. We're all going to live together. And it was, it was fantastic to see and to be a part of.
3: Yeah, I think it's, it's one of those places you sort of, you might hear the name in school and, or even post-school. And and it it just, it seems just so far away. It's just interesting. Is that a place you could, you see yourself, would you be able to live there? Do you think? I guess if you've lived in Afghanistan, you could probably live anywhere though, couldn't you?
2: Yeah, I don't think I could live there full time. I'd like to, I was going to go back. They were going to take their national team or their group of players. They've got, we're going to go to the UAE and play in some club competition, but, with the with the COVID and, and visas and everything, they, they couldn't get them. I was going to go and join them in February. I'd like to go back and be involved with them, but I don't think I could live there full time. I could do some consultancy work for them because I think to be to be there full time would be too much. But to be there, um, being away in that in the, in, the, in what's going on there, I think I'd lose my enthusiasm personally because because it, it's such a tasking job. To, to be done whereas to keep myself rejuvenated and focused i think you know three four months at a time and then have a month a month away and then go back again i think that that's something that you could do but i think for any westerner to go and live there full time i think it would be quite difficult
0: it kind of just thinking, you know, off the back of that, you know, looking at at the roles that you have undertaken, a lot of them have been quite intensive. Where you know you've gone into a situation and and you've basically sort of been at the coalface the the whole time. Is that is that your thinking rather than yeah having a, a full time kind of outlook at a specific position? You get in in the trenches for as long as you can, make as many changes as you can, and kind of work around it in that way. Because I can imagine, you know traveling around as much as you have it it could be quite an exhausting thing to do and even you know with with the you know the world that we're in at the moment where traveling you know comes at a premium it's it's almost impossible in some ways
2: yeah i think um my career has been up and down with uh, in in terms of of work people i i don't how do i put this properly i don't suffer fools easily you know i i i I, i'm fully committed to anything i do and if i feel the players or the administration aren't as committed as, as, as I am, then, then the relationship, unfortunately, breaks down at times. But the, the biggest thing I, I enjoy is I, I enjoy a challenge. And I, Hansi Cronier, we were talking about Crete once, and, he, and I spoke to him about when we were at Free State, we didn't do so well one season, and he said, coach, judge yourself by when you leave any environment. Is it better than when you joined and he likened it to like a rugby ball he said you know we pick up a rugby ball we run down the field when you leave if the ball's further down the field than when you than where you started then you've been successful and I think in all the, the the places I've been I've left the organization in a better place both um technically and skillfully and advising the coaches and building a structure than when I arrived and I think you know that that's that. I'd like to think that's how I'd like to be judged. How are the are the associates or the full members? Or are they better? Are the players in a better position than when when I started?
0: That's the end of part one with Andy Miles. We'll have part two next week on the show. Make sure to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket podcast if you haven't done so already, so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week. Pass the pot around and make sure to give us a five-star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's dot com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as $2 a month. You'll get access to extended shows of a number of our podcasts and you'll have a say on Emerging Cricket's direction. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Carter, and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.